Welcome to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope you are equipped by this message from Pastor Tom Lively. For more information about our church, please visit foundationchurchfl.com. Praise you, Lord. Are you ready? You guys are nuts. You have to be crazy to attend this church. It's one of the it's one of the very few churches that actually preaches the gospel, believes believes in the power and the presence and the demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. You got a, you got the full package here. You want Bible thumping? You got Bible thumping. You got hellfire and brimstone. You got the power of the Holy Ghost, miracles, signs, and wonders. All of that is right here. In Jesus' mighty name, it is here. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for this this morning? All right. Amen. Well, I'll preach it then if you want. Otherwise, I'll water it down if you don't. You don't have to worry. I'll never water it down. Those of you that are new, just stick it out. It's 1049. We'll be out of here somewhere between 12 and 1220. It's not that long. It really isn't. You've sat through insurance conferences before. You've sat through much worse. Hang in there. What you need to do is this. Right before you get offended, ask. You're like, Tom, why? I'm doing preemptive strikes from now on to try to keep people in the building. Just, this is my version of love. I don't have anything else to offer. This is my version of love to try to keep you in the building. What you do before you get up and leave is ask, why am I leaving? Whether you leave in your mind or whether you leave physically, ask yourself, why, why am I leaving right now? What is it that's offending me? Do I know for sure that it's not the truth that's offending me? Do I know for sure it's not the truth that's driving me out the door? Isn't it what, and even if it's not, what's, what's the harm of sitting and just listening? Write some notes. See if I'm right. See, see if I'm right. Because mainly what you're going to hear is something that's very foreign inside of the modern church, which are Bible verses. Bible verses aren't overly uncommon in the church. They're just... Oftentimes cut in half, misapplied, and hardly used. They're there, but they're hardly used and oftentimes not used correctly. So what you need to do is just sit and actually write down the verses and go home and check it. If you never want to come back again, don't come back again, but ask the Holy Ghost. I remember when I first got saved, I was coming out of the Catholic Church. I used to go to the Catholic Church on Saturday night and sneak to the Pentecostal church. I was acting like I was spending the night at a friend's house, and they, which I was, actually, but they would get up and go to the Pentecostal church. It was called the Inglewood Church of God at the time. Changed other names, another name after that, but it was Inglewood Church of God at the time. There wasn't a whole lot of people there, but for, and, and, and I was so uncomfortable there. I, I think I, like, drenched my butt cheeks every Sunday with the sweat that was rolling down my back. And I wasn't even doing anything. I was just sitting there. And it was a nicely air-conditioned building, but I was just sitting there. And it was uncomfortable to me. I mean, very uncomfortable. To, 
For me, uncomfortable was, this is the day, this is the day. I was like, what is that? That was wild. I'm like, that's wild to me. But I was compelled of the Holy Ghost. You will continue to go. I didn't want to go. I didn't, but the thing is, I didn't try to avoid it. That's the weird thing because I knew that's where I was supposed to be. I knew that I wanted God and I had prayed a very simple sort of salvation prayer. God, because the only thing I knew to pray, I didn't know the sinner's prayer. How many of you know that people can get saved without actually praying the exact sinner's prayer? They pray what they know to pray. And I didn't know what else to pray. I remember laying in my room and I prayed, Lord, if you're there, show yourself to me. That's what I prayed. And from that moment on, my life changed. But I did that which was uncomfortable for me. Now, a lot of you guys, you're okay with a little bit of uncomfortable preaching. But the rubber hits the road when you leave. A lot of you guys, you've gotten used to it. It gets to be religious. You've gotten used to being battered on Sunday morning by me. Almost to the point of criminality. But then nothing changes. It's just gotten to be religious. Don't let that be you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, James 1.22. If you merely listen to the word, that's all you do is listen to the word and don't apply it, you're ushering in deception. It's that serious. Do what it says. When the word tells you to pray without ceasing and to study to show yourself approved, what should you do? Otherwise, you're ushering in deception. Which is why you saw the global church follow a grand deception because they listened to the word over and over and over again. Don't do what it says and ushered in deception. They don't even know what the Antichrist spirit is. You see, people can't buy, sell, trade, or travel around the globe without their QR code and mark of the beast. There's nothing to move the global church. Quiet in here. Listen, it's, I'm going to preach the message because this is really what the message is. But I'm going to tell you, unless you do that which is uncomfortable for you, you're not growing. You're not growing. I think of, I think of like my son and his, you know, he's a, he's a cage fighter, an MMA fighter. Every single day of his life is uncomfortable. Every day, bruised, battered, challenged, stretched. You're like, well, at least he's got Sunday off. Well, they go out and play ultimate on Sunday. They're running up and down the field. Even that's not comfortable. But every day, if you want to get better, then you're going to have to do that which is uncomfortable for you. For some of you, you know what it is for some of you? Shut up! Why are you looking at your spouse? (laughs) Stop answering every statement that's said in your direction with I know. Oh, I know, I know. If you know, then why would I be compelled to tell you? You obviously don't know. Amen, you're welcome. Launching right where I said we would launch from last week. Something will always be coming to your mind. Right now, things are popping into your mind, right? Right now, things are coming into your mind. Silver horse. It's in your mind. Things are popping into your mind right now. 
In every second of every day, things are popping into your mind. Something will always be coming to mind. Even in the midst of actions. Remember, I haven't, I haven't explained this in a while. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind brought about by a change of actions. Everybody tries to change their mind first and then change their actions. No, you change your actions first, which changes your mind. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. It's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord. So if you want your mindset to change, you change what you do. You don't change your mind and then change what you do. Change what you do. What you do is actually subordinate to how you think. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you want to determine how you think, then do. It's really that easy. Life is actually very simple. It's just a matter of whether or not you'll do that which is uncomfortable. Or are you going to just stay the same year after year after year? Even in the midst of events, something will always be coming to mind. Something always will. If things are happening in your life, you're reacting to something. Whatever it may be, things are popping into your mind. Some of you are thinking right now, man, if, if I could and it wasn't really uncomfortable, I'd get up and leave right now. That's in your mind right now. I haven't even said anything offensive yet in my mind. Here's one for you. Correction is coming. Not just for me, but correction is coming. See, now, correction isn't something that I really struggle with. Why? I struggle, and you know I've, I preach very transparently about my own struggles. But correction is not something I struggle with. If you live with my wife, you're going to be corrected. <clears throat> we have a very, if you live in our house, you're going to be corrected. We, we never let a bad attitude go without addressing it, ever. Now, you can hide it, then I won't address it. If you're just going to walk around and not smile or whatever, I'm not going to come up. Are you in a bad mood today? Because I just want to address that with you. No, but if you, if you talk and it's a bad attitude, it's going to be addressed. It's going to be corrected. So correction is coming. How do you respond? Do you ever, you, ever look at the, you ever look at the Bible, look at the Bible verses about correction? You are the, what, what, what is correction inside the Bible? Salt and steel. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown, thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So you and I are supposed to be the correction. How, how are we going to change? Everyone, people come up oftentimes. Well, you know, I know all the negative things that you talk about. I'm talking about the podcast. But how do you fix these things? Be salt. God will open the doors. How often do you pray? Lord, open the doors for me to bring correction. You'll start off with a small platform. And here's the thing, too. Every, people start off with a, pl- a small platform right out of Matthew 25, 21 and despise it. And a small platform. You know, I started a Bible study and only three people showed up. Three people's pretty good. And they despise it. They, they have to start off in front of hundreds. It's never going to happen. If you have to start off in front of hundreds, it's never going to, I repeat, N-E-V-E-R, never going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to start small. But people never want to do that. But it comes, correction comes in salt and in steel as iron sharpens iron. 
Now, is that a comfortable process? Have you ever heard iron rubbing up against iron? It is not something that's overly sensitive to your, to your senses pleasing. Salt is not pleasing, but healing. And you've heard me say this numerous times. If you ever have a road rash, what's the quickest way to fix it? Go jump in the ocean. Is that pleasing? So how will you? Thoughts are always coming. When correction comes, what's your thoughts? What will be your response to those thoughts? Because Christianity is only about second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour decisions that you make. You're making them right now. Thoughts are coming. How will you respond to those thoughts? Correction comes in iron and salt. Not some soft peddling, COVID caving, latte sucking, soft peddling pastor. That's not steel. That's not salt, therefore it's not biblical. Amen. So don't, what I'm saying is I'm setting you up I'm setting you up to respond correctly to correction. Romans 7, 23 through 25. This is where we left off last week. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with, my, with the mind, I myself serve the law of sin, but with the flesh, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So there's a war going on. And I'm gonna teach you how to win that war today. But first, you have to actually have to recognize that there's a war. Christianity is not, tranquil, not, 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 not constant, constantly living in a mindset of tranquility. You have, listen, we, we are to live in peace, but it's after the battle. You don't avoid the battle for peace. You win the battle. He is not a peacekeeper. He is a peacemaker. Don't avoid the battle. But I see another law in my members, warring, warring against the law of my mind. Your mind that's supposed to be renewed constantly. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you have flesh owned, flesh owned by itself, and you have a mind that God wants to own. And God is warring for your mind, and your flesh is warring for your mind. Your flesh is carnal of the five senses. Who will win in your decision making? Who will win when the thoughts come to mind? The flesh or the Holy Ghost? It's a war. And each one must be one or you're going nowhere. Don't follow, don't follow the lies. And no matter what's happening, God's working for my good. No, he's not. And we know, but it says that, Tom, but we know in all things, God, God works for the good of those who love him. Romans eight twenty eight. but what does, one, what does 8, 27 say? Now he who searches the hearts, 
knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The only good that God is ever working is what the Spirit is praying through you and what the Spirit is praying for you. What, what happens, Tom, when somebody's living in compromise or sin? The Spirit's praying one thing. Get out of the compromise and sin. That, that's how God is working for you. If you are in right standing with God and you are praying for healing and prosperity and victory, now God is working for your good. The only good that God is working for you is what the Spirit is praying through you. That's it. And that's not convoluted. That's not how a lot of Christians are. Well, the Spirit is this and the Spirit is The Spirit is the Word. He only prays that which he knows, that which he's heard. John 16, 13. He does not speak on his own authority. Whatever he has already heard is what he speaks, and that's what God is looking for. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him, right? That's 2 Chronicles 20, 15. However, that those eyes are looking for the voice of the Spirit. That's it. It's not, well, you know what? I'm really struggling right now, and I'm living in worry, and I'm living in fear, I'm living in sin, I'm living in compromise. I lie all the time, but I know that in all those things, God is working for my good. No, those all things that he works is what the Spirit's praying, exclusively. Exclusively. He's not working for your good because you're a perpetual liar or fornicator or homosexual. He's not working for your good as you're living for your, with your girlfriend. The only good that he's working for you is trying to get you to stop living with your girlfriend. Well, that job just opened. I'm living in the midst of fornication and that job opened. That's Romans 8, 28 working for me again. That just happens to be what happened. That's everything that does not come from faith is sin. That job is actually sin. You're welcome. I know that. This is the Bible now. It's what you're going to be judged by anyway. You might as well hear it now. I'm preventing you from getting shocked on the day of judgment. I'm for you. I'm trying to help you. Plus, you know you're not happy anyway. Stop lying to yourself telling you're happy every day. The only way to be happy is to follow God continuously. His way, not your way. Most miserable people I've ever met are, and listen, remember, I was in law enforcement for 25 years. 25 years of dealing with people in law enforcement. You think that was the most miserable people you've ever met? No, they were way happier than a lot of the Christians I've met. I'm serious, people in the back, because they, they at least have a meaning in life. They believe that someday they're gonna get to this place where they'll be happy. Smoke enough of this, do enough of that, steal enough of this, steal enough of that, whatever it may be, or just people who are in the world making the police reports. They believe they're gonna be happy someday, but the Christians have all been poisoned. Poisoned by what I call the Jesus poison. You know there's no answers in the world. You know it in your soul. You are born again. Your spirit is righteous. It's warring against your carnality. You know you're never gonna be happy with the next vacation. You keep going on those Bahamian vacations down to sandals and you're miserable the whole time. One more cruise. You know it's true. Maybe you like to sneak away so God doesn't know you're drinking. 
He knows. He knows you're a margarita Christian. He's got it. You should see some of the faces that I'm looking at right now. Just hold out now. See if I'm right. Well, I don't like screaming pastors. Well, just hang in there. Write it down and see if I'm right. Maybe, here's the thing, I'll do the tone police again. Tone police. The tone, the tone police montage again. Is it the tone that bothers you? Or is it the truth that bothers you? Because if it was simply the tone that bothers you, then you'd be enacting the truth without the tone. But the truth is never actually enacted, so it's obviously not the tone that bothers you, it's the truth that bothers you, right? Otherwise, you'd enact a very soft, monotone truth without all of my inflection, as I so call it. But something will always be coming to mind. Every, it always will. Now, how do you know whether you're right or not in your response? What does Matthew 7, 15 and 16 say? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Most people's false prophet is who? Yeah, there's no false. I mean, listen, there's false prophets running around. Most of us, in all honesty, now there's exceptions to this rule, but as I'm looking around the room, I think it's most of us in this room. When, you, when some weirdo comes around, most of us in America, we're pretty, we're pretty good. The antenna are up. You're weird. Don't call him back, honey. He's weird. You, you're going to run into him in this church. You will until I know about them, and then I'll scoot them out the door. We, we in America, you know, they talk about like gaydar, weirdar. We got it. We know the person's weird. So we don't really struggle with the embodiment of false prophets. Now, the people who are led astray, yeah, I mean, but I'm just talking about, I mean, how often does a Jim Jones happen? I mean, in all honesty, a Waco happen. I mean, how often does that? Remember, remember always the traits of a false prophet. Just throwing this out here for you, just for my own personal amusement. The false prophet, prophet will always be sleeping with multiple women. Part of his religion will be him and him alone sleeping with multiple women. Just so I'm just telling you, Gadar, false prophet Dar. It's right there. Every single time, it's that way. Of course, they, of course they blaspheme the gospel, blaspheme God, blaspheme Jesus. But I'm telling you, it's very easy to tell every single time. Oh, whether it's David Koresh, Jim Jones, it's the same thing every time because it's the same spirit every time. It's a common spirit. But most Christians are not led away by Jim Jones, David Koresh-style branch COVIDian Christians. I mean, pro false prophets. They're not led away by that. They're led away by themselves because they don't want to do what's uncomfortable. I don't want that because if I do that, that's going to make me uncomfortable. Most Christians are absolutely terrified that their persona will be attacked. I have a personal image of myself, and if the Bible's true, then that image is not true. That image is a lot less than I thought it was. But if it's true, it's true. So beware of false prophets. So when thoughts come to mind, you respond. How do you know whether or not your response was correct? 
You shall know them by their fruit. It's not hard. What's the fruit of what you're doing? Now, this sounds like I'm a pastor with an ax to grind. But I just, this is my life experience. I can't use the sheriff's office because it's not a godly, it's not a godly thing. So I have to use the church, both this one and churches in the past that I've attended. If you leave a church because you're offended, how do you know whether or not you were correct? That was your response to thoughts. Second by second, minute by minute response. I'm leaving, I told you. We had lots of people leave because they started laying hands on people. Now why would you leave? You're like, Tom, it's pretty full in here, you should be happy. Uh, Listen, I'm never happy. I'm just telling you. You're never gonna see a day where, hey, Tom's finally happy. No, it's not gonna happen. I'm content, but I'm ever pressing forward. So people left because of that, right? So people left, I don't know how many, lots. There was a lot. I'd say close to 100 people left this church because they started laying hands on people. Even though 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 16, verse 18, tells you to lay hands on the sick so that they recover and lay hands on, the, lay hands on people to stir up the gifts of God which are in them. So could you possibly be right for leaving for that? So how will you know whether you're right the fruit? How's that family doing? How's the miracle working power manifesting in your life? How many people are you winning to the Lord? Well, I don't like that you yell, Tom. Okay, and you leave because Tom yells. What is the fruit of that decision? That will determine whether you're right or wrong. Life is very simple. The people I've seen that leave this church, their kids aren't saved. Their husband's not saved. Their husband who's barely attending anyway is not saved. So how could your fruit be right? But they never admit it. Does that drive you crazy, by the way? I mean, look at our culture right now. Nobody ever admits they're wrong about anything. Told you that's not my struggle. When I know I'm wrong, I get out in front of it. By the way, I just want to let you know I was completely and totally wrong, and I'm sorry. I do that all the time. Ask the people closest to me all the time. I was wrong. And listen, some, listen, I don't, my wife and I are very competitive people. We're competitive. Neither one of us likes to lose. My wife is stubborn to a fault. That's her thing. I have many more faults than she does, but that's her thing. And I've had to train her over the years. And I'm not kidding. I sound like Joe Biden right there. I'm not joking. I'm not kidding. Listen, it's over, you were wrong, come out and say it just like your husband does, I was wrong. Nobody ever does that because it's such a threat to their persona. I, I, want every, I want to believe that I'm just this rock solid Christian. How are you a rock solid Christian when you're sleeping with your girlfriend? Because you meet the rock-solid standards of backslidden church international. There are standards of fresh starts and new beginnings and trying as hard as you can. Try that on the day of judgment. Yeah, but Lord, you know, I was one of those statistics on their Easter Sunday. Right after the Easter egg hunt, they came up and they had an altar call for fresh starts and new beginnings. And I was one of those. So, where was the turning from sin? 
Where is the fruit? It's very easy to know whether you are right or wrong. Where is the fruit? Either make, the, make a decision today. Either make the tree good and it's fruit good or else make the tree bad and it's fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Matthew 12, 33. Make that decision today. Life is not difficult. It is actually simple. Just jump on the eagle's wings of God and ride. It's all you gotta do. But that means you're gonna have to crucify yourself. Personas are gone. You're dead. You're crucified in Christ. Why do you care? I want everybody to think in my family that I'm reasonable, that I'm not a conspiracy theorist. They think it anyway. You try as hard as you want. I've, listen, I've tried to preach different ways. It was for short periods of time, but I tried. It doesn't work. People are going to do what people want to do. You just preach the word. So what will you do when thoughts come to mind? And what you do second by second is vitally important and is a huge component of Christianity. Most people do not look at Christianity this way. It's second by second decision making. Let me ask you this. How many of us were born in the United States of America? Raise your hand. Yeah, almost everybody. So I guess that means that you are filthy rich beyond measure. Right? No, you were born into the United States, just like with Christianity. Born into the kingdom of God. But now what do you do? Do you get all the benefits of it or do you not? Most, most Americans don't get the benefits of America. They're barely getting by living paycheck to paycheck because they choose to do that. You don't just get everything because you were born into it. Now you go to work. Many Americans now, because it was ushered in by COVID-19, want a free check every month because they were born into America. People wonder why we have hyperinflation because they printed a bunch of money and gave it away in the form of trillions and trillions of dollars over the last three years of 15 months to flatten the curve. So people think, well, I'm, you know what? I'm an American, so I get whatever I want. Well, is that true? No, even, even those who are receiving checks, they're miserable and poor. You can be the same way in the kingdom of God. Just because you're born into America doesn't mean you get all of its benefits unless you work. If you're born into the kingdom of God, you won't get the benefits unless you work. Well, that doesn't sound like a, uh, that sounds like a works-based salvation. I just said you're in the kingdom of God without works, but if you want the benefit of it, you gotta work. And part of that work is second by second decision-making, taking every thought captive. What you do is vitally important. Don't fall for the deception. And no matter what happens, you know, God's will is unfolding. No. Just because you're born into, the, born into the kingdom of God doesn't mean you're born into the will of God. You have to work for the will of God. Now, I don't mean that to earn it. You have to work to see it. Please understand that. I'm not saying that when you work, God then pours out his blessings upon you in response to your works. He's not doing that. Your works are a response to God so that you can see open doors. How many of you have met stupid people? 
they can't see. It's not that there aren't opportunities, they can't see. How many of you have parented teenagers? Shout amen. amen. Yeah, that's a lot of you. They can't see. They're blinded by many things like hormones and lack of experience. And un, un, just unabated, giant egos, thinking they know everything. So they're blind. They can, it's not, listen, when we, in the kingdom of God, we're not working so that God blesses us. We're working so that we can see the blessings that are already in place. Otherwise, you stay blind, just like the teenager, just like the child. Listen, a child right now, if you do not guard that child, they'll walk out on the 41. <clears throat> so they don't know, and that's, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to works. It's not working to earn the favor of God. It's working to see the favor of God, to see the open doors that most people can't see. Most Christians never see the doors that are open for them. They lead, they lead these benign lives that when they get to heaven, they're gonna find out they dropped the ball and they should have accomplished this and they should have accomplished that. I'm scared to death of that. It's a holy fear of mine that when I get to heaven, God will say, here's what I had planned for you, but here's what you accomplished. But most Christians believe that it's just gonna happen. That whatever is supposed to be accomplished will be accomplished regardless of what I do. Is that the case in America? No. Is that the case in the kingdom of God? No, and I'm going to show you. So did Barnabas? Remember, he, got in a, he, had a, he had an argument with Paul, right? You ever hear about him again? So is the fruit of his decisions showing that he's correct or incorrect? You had an argument with the greatest soul winner that's ever lived on planet Earth. You were wrong, Barnabas. And I know people are going to come up to me at the door. You know, they made up later. So what? So what? He could have been a monstrous soul winner. Maybe he was supposed to have a big chunk of the Bible. But no, he'd rather be right, even though he's wrong, and think he's right, even though he's wrong. So it does have an impact. Did everything unfold for Judas? Well, Judas was never saved to begin with, says the Calvinist. And, wrong. You ever read the Bible, Calvinist? You ever actually read it instead of just listening to Calvinist preachers? Read the Bible. I'm not, listen, I'm not for or against you. I'm for and against things that are antithetical to the word. Judas, by his own transgression, fell. I repeat. It doesn't say that he was never saved. It said that he fell. If he was never saved, then what is he falling from? The lost are not falling. The lost are fallen. That's, that's Acts one twenty five. But never let the Bible get in the way of your Calvinism. It's nice and secure in there. God's will is unfolding no matter what I do. God's perfect plan is happening. It's not true. It's not remotely true. You can't see God's perfect plan. You can't see the open doors because you're not crucifying the flesh through prayer, Bible study, worship, and fellowship. What have I said that's offensive? Amen. Nothing. It's all true. So how could it be offensive? And again, if it's the tone that bothers you, then enact the truth minus the tone. 
But if it's just the tone that bothers you, why are you not enacting the truth without the tone? You're welcome. I'm just trying to help you. I'm serious. I really am trying to help you. You, you are a power pack of the Holy Ghost. Why are you living day to day? Why is your life only about a screen? There's so much more to you than that. Well, I just don't, listen, throw, just do what I've done. Go out, go out into the breach to what maximum discomfort. Rodney Howard Brown service for me three years ago. Against all of it. Preached against it for the prior 15 years straight. God says, you know what? I found you a pastor. You gotta be kidding me. You've been looking? I found him. Now get into the fire. But the fire is uncomfortable, God. Get in there. First service, I know I've told you this a bunch of times, but it's popping in my mind, so I believe God wants you to hear it again. Sitting in that service for the first time in my life. Sunday afternoon, about 90 degrees in late May. Sitting in there, brought the whole church with me. We're all sitting there with our foundation church shirts on. <laughs> There's a joke popping into my mind right now, but I hesitate to tell you. <laughs> You tell me, don't tell me, I gotta tell you. You know, all these churches are starting their own Bible schools, right? So, yeah, I'm telling you, no, that's great, that's great. So we're gonna start our own Bible school here, Bible college, Bible university here, and we're gonna sell T-shirts out front, and our, 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 our university acronym will be FU. Foundation University. <laughs> You're welcome. I thought of that when we were leaving the podcast. I laughed all the way home. I was telling my wife, hey, you know what? We're going to start, you know, Jonathan started University, Revival Today University, and then you've got River University, and then we're going to have Foundation University with our shirts. And you're like, Tom, are you endorsing profanity? No, I hate profanity, but it's funny. It's funny, it's a joke. It's a joke. I never say that word. I haven't said the F word for decades. I don't have any idea. I have to say that because somebody in here will be offended by it. It's a joke. It's simply a joke. I don't even know what I was talking about before this now. I gotta, look, gotta go barking back to my notes now. Oh yeah, going to the river. So anyway, back, yeah, I was, thank you guys, I love you. I really do appreciate you. But I'm there, and we're all there with our foundation church shirts on and our hats and various other apparel. And by then, I had known Pastor Rodney. We had done two podcasts together, but I hadn't gone to the services, and I had still thought in my mind right up to that moment that, you know what, I love him, love the, where he stands, and, and unashamed, and will say whatever he wants politically or anything else from the pulpit, great. Dons his black robes instead of donning face diapers. Love the guy. So, but I'm like, his services are still crazy, though. I know they're all saved, I know they're heaven bound, probably better Christians than me, but I don't wanna go there. So I'm sitting in there, 
uh, uh, sitting in my lawn chair, because that's what they had at the time. We were all out before the pavilion was built. And I looked over to my right, and there's this, this woman. No, it was actually to my left. I looked over to my left, and there's this, we have my church. There's about 100 people there. That's about, I mean, we had probably 130, 140 people. So basically, because 30 to 40% of the church left when I didn't COVID cave. And we didn't social distance, put out alcohol gel stations, don masks, whatever. We didn't do any of that. Ever closed, not for one second, not for one day. Never stopped tugging, never stopped praying, never done any of this. Ever. I'm not, we weren't, listen, there was nothing, just so you know. Nothing. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like, well, you know what, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll do this. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll stand a little further apart or nothing. Nothing. You know, once, once I'm on board, I am a side freaking taker. He's a way maker. I'm a side freaking taker. So I take the side and I stick with it. But Pastor Rodney's the same way, but I'm sitting there and I look over to my left and there's this woman convulsing in her chair and screaming. And I'm like, oh, oh boy. I'd been in the services, services before, not Rod, Pastor Rodney's, but services like that before. But I'm like, I had been in control all that time. And I wouldn't allow it. You know, and don't worry. Anything absolutely stupid, we're not allowing here either. And I'm not gonna, I'm not, we're not gonna become River Church Northport. It's not that way. This will be whatever vision God has for us. But I looked over there and I was like, oh man, it's over now. In man's eyes, because his thoughts and his ways are above mine, Things that look ridiculous to me, like spitting in the mud and making a mud pie and putting it on a person's face is ridiculous to me. Why did Jesus do that? It's not for me to know. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. So I looked over and I'm like, this cannot be the way. Well, at that time, I had 100 people coming to the church. Look what we have now. So what's the fruit of my decision-making? It's got nothing to do with me. It has to do with jumping on the river, jumping on the raft, running down the river, getting on the eagle's wings of God. And so all that it is, oh, your part is decision-making. He did all the work. All you do is jump on. It's all you got to do. He did all the work. He's the one who got nailed to the cross, not you. He's the one who walked down the Via Della Rosa, not you. He's the one who bore the stripes and the nails, not you. The whipping, not you, not the pierced side. We didn't do any of it. He did it all. So all you have to do is decision make. But most Christians don't believe they even need a decision make. Is that work in a marriage? Well, it doesn't matter. No matter what I do, it's going to be a great marriage. Oh, really? How's that panning out for you? And Tom, why are you always ripping marriages? Because of the worst I've ever seen her in the church. <laughs> Terrible. I could spend an hour on that, as you well know, but I'm gonna try to preach this message today. What you do is vitally important. What you do. God's already done what he's gonna do. Everything, listen, you're like, no, I pray, and then God does things. That's a provision that's already been made. He's already, you're, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it, Right? John 14, 14. Ask and it shall be given you, right? Matthew 7, 7, right? That's a provision that's already been done. It's already been accomplished. So even to think that God is still doing, he's really not. It's already all been done. You're just plugging in. It's like, it's like calling FBL, FBL. You know what? I'm plugging in the blender, FBL. Send the power. It's already there. 
But what you do is vitally important. What you say is vitally important. These things can hinder your belief. Now, yes, you can get, I'm not even gonna get into sin right now. I'm talking about God's will unfolding before your eyes. In order for you to see that, you have got to dispel unbelief. What you do is vitally important to that end. What you say is vitally important to that end. Some of you might be thinking, what are you talking about, Tom, when it comes to unbelief? What was the hindrance in the New Testament? People will say sin. Sin is unbelief. Unbelief is sin. They're synonymous. People don't go to hell for their sin. Every person on planet Earth is saved if they want to be. They just have to make a decision, right? Their sin is already atoned for. They go to hell not for their sin but for unbelief. They never chose the dispensation for their sin. Everything that you do and say is vitally important. But when it comes to unbelief, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What you do, say, think, and give enables you to see, enables you to believe. I love that line in the movie. I can't remember what movie it is. Some of you will know. Believing is not seeing. Seeing is believing. But, but it goes, seeing is believing is the wrong. Wrong part of the statement. Believing is seeing. Everything is about dispelling unbelief. If you speak things that are antithetical to the word of God, like, you know, I'm having a bad day today. Why are you saying that? Why don't you take those thoughts captive and turn it around? Make them obedient to Christ, second by second decisions. Well, I'm just, you know, that's how my family is. You know, we're moody people. Okay, enjoy that for the rest of your life. Why would you want to be moody? You think your family enjoys it? Ask them. If they're not too terrified of you to just be a yes man at this stage because they're terrified of your mood swings, ask them. You're like, Tom, you're talking about somebody, you, you talk like somebody with experience. Yeah. yeah. Basically, every horrible day, Hope and I have been together for 30 years, married for 27. Every horrible day in those 27 years, just about, statistically speaking, was brought about by me in my moods. I like the one person who goes, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Will you say it about you? Make that decision right now. Is it you? Who's the tornado in the home? Who's it? Somebody is. Who is it? Make the decision right now. Identify and do something about it. What you do, say, think, and give is vitally important. Because you're going nowhere until all four of those things do Say, think, and give are aligned with the word of God. You're telling me, Tom, that if I don't tithe, the the will of God is not unfolding in my life? Yep. Your devourer is not being rebuked for your sake. The windows of heaven are not being opened up for you and pouring out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to, to, to receive it. So yes, that's what I'm saying. There's another pastor after my money. We don't even take an offering. 
How am I after your money? See the big black boxes in the back? Wave at us, Eddie. See them? That's it. There's the offering. Well, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Pressure, pressure, pressure. Act like I'm doing the spank thing. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Drop it in the box on your way out. No special song, nothing. So I'm after your money? No, I'm after your blessing. You're not listening. You need to, you need to know the Bible. You need to know Malachi 3, 8 through 11. That the benefits, the benefits of giving. It's vitally important that you have the devourer rebuked for your sake. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. What you do, say, think, and give is vitally important. And if they are not in alignment with the word of God, the will of God is not unfolding in your life. Because of unbelief, you can't see. You cannot see. You need to remember, uh, I preach a lot about unbelief, so I hesitate to preach even more about unbelief. But you need to look at the Bible when it comes to unbelief. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boats that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's his disciples who were living with him. Mark 4, 37 through 41. Unbelief is hindered by what we do, say, think, and give if we're not doing them right. Amen. Let's look at this. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not, be, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now here's the thing. Let me look. I want everyone to know this. We say, we think flesh, we think sin. All sin is fleshly. But not all flesh is sin. Listen, it's carnal to eat. It's carnal to be hungry. You're not sinning. It's carnal to be thirsty. You're not sinning when you get a glass of water. But it's carnal. It's if you sow to those things. Sow to carnality. I'm not Sin, it's hellbound. I don't care how many sinners' prayers you said. If you live in unrepentant sin, you're going to hell. It's as simple as that. Is that as clear as I can make it? That's the way it is. That's the Bible. I'm going to challenge them at the door. You better be armed. Because I've got it all memorized. Amen. It's up to you what you sow into, though. What you give over. Is, is what you live for the next relaxing moment? Is that what you live for? Or you can just disconnect? You know, why do you address that? Because that's, that's America. That's the world now. You go to a, listen, I played this video on the podcast of China, which is what the globalist left wants us all to be. And they're all sitting there waiting for inhalable vaccines, mRNA vaccinations. They now put into a tube. It looks like you're about to drink like a 
protein shake? But you're not. You're actually sucking it in like a bong. <laughs> and they're all sitting out there. Now, here is a country whose really their banking system has collapsed. You have the Lao Beijing, which are really a bunch of... There's 1.1 to 1.4 billion people that live in China. That's how big they are. Remember, America is about 350 million. 1,000 million is a billion. Think about how big they are. So they're all sitting there in the waiting room waiting for their inhalable mRNA experimental vaccines. And what are they all doing? People whose lives are completely run by totalitarians, but every one of them staring at a phone. Maybe that's why run, their lives are run by totalitarians. If all your life is about is when's the next time we're going out to eat? When's the next motorcycle ride? When's the next RV trip, vacations, cruise? You're so into the flesh. None of that's sin. None of that's sin. Did I say one thing that was sin? I didn't, listen, yes, if you sow to, to carnality that's sin, that's hellbound. If you sow to carnality that's not sin and you're saved, you're just a corralled off ineffective Christian. Who will go to heaven and discover why you have to have tears wiped away from your eyes? Because you'll look at the things you were supposed to accomplish. Starting with your own family. You're like, some of you, my kids, I hear it all the time from adult people that attend this church. My kids are lost. What are you going to do now? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. So the time for beating yourself up as a parent is over. Amen. If they're 41 years old, okay, and you stunk as a parent, it's over now. So let yourself off the hook and start to model the behavior that you want them to have. I want my, I just don't know what to do to get my kids in church. You've only been attending church regularly for six months. And here's the thing too, you don't even attend regularly. It's vitally important what you do. Whatever you put into the ground is coming up. This is why you will never see me in a church service staring at a screen. I don't ever do it. Why? Because I sow that people will listen to me. So I don't not listen when I'm in the room. Listen, I've been through some boring church services. I mean boring to the place of tears and not tears of joy. Tears of boredom. But I pay attention. When I used to go to police conferences, first of all, police officers are the worst audiences on the planet. Second, probably after that, nurses. People, listen, people who live in that sort of quagmire are horrible audiences. Everything, they're so hardened. Yes, but I would, I'd be going to these conferences, and it'd be every cop, with, the, with notable exceptions, does PowerPoint presentations as they're cops. Right? And they read right off the PowerPoint. They got it up there and they read off the PowerPoint. And I, I'm like, I'm glad I don't have my gun. Because I'm going to blow my own brains out. The sweet release of death. From a three hour long leadership PowerPoint. But you know what I do? I look at them. Have I fallen asleep a couple times? Yes. 
because there's friends of mine that attend this church and they caught me falling asleep at conferences, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. However, for the most part, I hone in. Everybody else in the room is on their phones and iPads, just ignoring them. But I want to sow into the ground people listening to me, so I listen. I don't ever text and drive, ever, because I don't sow that into my family. Boy, that got quiet. It's everybody texts and drive. You're a dum-dum. Look, look at me. You're a dum-dum. 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 If you do it, you're dumb. You know how many crashes I've worked for that reason? But I don't do it because I don't sow that into my family. The things that I have sown into my family, which I shared to you, with you last week, the person who sowed screen-watching into the Lifely House was me. And I've reaped the non-benefits of that. There's been times where I've had to tell my kids, all right, turn that off, listen to me. I can't stand that in society right now. When you're talking to somebody, and like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I'll just stop talking to you and walk away. Not angry, I'll just be like, okay, he's not interested. No problem. Well, you do say, think and give is vitally important. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. doesn't say reap heaven. Everlasting life. Refreshing in and out of your life all the time. Everlasting life. You're never bored. You're never without romance. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. And here's something I want you to understand. God writes everything down. You don't think this life, this this Christian life is about second by second decisions? This is a God who writes everything down. It's that specific. How you respond to your husband or how you respond to your wife today is vitally important. A fool shows his annoyance at once, which I blew up this morning on the way here. We're going out to get in the car this morning. <laughs> and I'm unlocking the car. We're getting, my wife and I made the mistake of getting in the car at the same time, which we always do. But. So I'm unlocking the car while she's simultaneously locking the car, thinking she's unlocking the car. Because now when she pushes that button, in response, she's thinking she's unlocking it while I'm unlocking it, makes that lock it. So I'm pulling on the handle, and what I have to do is I press the button on the front door doorknob there, whatever door, whatever you call it, door handle, handle, door handle. So I push the I push the the button on the handle and it unlocks the back door. So I push the handle, go back, door's locked. Because simultaneously she's locking the door. Push the handle, go back, the door's locked. So I look like a trained monkey. He's probably doing it on purpose. <laughs> probably video. You probably see it on Facebook later today. <laughs> so I did the very Christian thing, which was <sighs> I wanted to scream, could you just stop? Stop unlocking. But a fool shows his annoyance at once. So, my grade for this morning, oh, Tom, you shouldn't judge yourself. Well, who told you that? 
Who told you that? A spiritual man makes judgments about all things. 1 Corinthians 2.15. Who told you not to judge? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So with rights, at John 7.24. Notice how these are all Bible verses. What are you standing on? What are you standing on? Pastor soft pedal? Pastor skip verses? First name skip, last name verses? That guy? So I judged my behavior. Fail. Well, I can't take that. That would really damage me. Why does it damage you? You already fail all the time anyway. You're just lying to yourself, which is another failure, so you're compounding failure with more failure. You're compounding failure with not acknowledging failure, which is another failure. Just be like me. Fail. It was. It was a fail. God writes everything down. He's that specific. You don't think, he, you don't think God went down and said, you know what, Tom violated Proverbs 12, 16 this morning? doesn't mean I'm going to hell for it. It means I blew it. Why can't, why, do, why can't people just say that? I blew it. Fix it. I've been working so hard on that. I'm really disappointed in myself. Not to show my annoyance at once, because that's what I've done my entire life. Entire life has been, everybody knows when I'm annoyed. I have a face that never looks happy anyway. I'm, I'm that guy that people always come up to. Well, you know, you could smile. And when, when people say that to me, I want to punch them right in the face. But I'm like, I'm not unhappy, okay? I just don't have a happy countenance. I just don't. I don't, stand, I don't sit there like this. My natural facial expression is irritation. <laughs> I remember someone going, you know, I was sitting, we were at a, we, our, our band was, it was actually the first time I met Aaron. Aaron, oh, Aaron just walked in. Our worship leader now. And he was playing drums. It was, I can't remember, what was that Inglewood Festival called? Oh gosh, it's amazing how he remembers everything he does. It's something that Hope talked me into doing. It's all part of like the Inglewood block party culture. <laughs> how, many of you are, how many of you spent decades in Inglewood? Anybody? But, okay, so the Inglewood block party culture, but they put together this concert thing all week long. The only draw are the beer tents that are on opposite sides of the venue. So if the beer tents aren't flowing, there's no crowd. Then they, you know, so we, of course, were on the non-beer tent day, which was a Sunday afternoon. So we're going to go and break out our band and perform in front of hundreds of people where we were performing in front of 12 people. <laughs> it's all hopes I did. It's going to be great for the church, great for the church. And I'm like, okay. And I showed my annoyance at once. <laughs> Actually, I didn't on that one. But So I'm sitting there on a Sunday afternoon. Now this is, again, this is probably my schedule at the time. Worked all week, worked the detail on Saturday, and was doing church on Sunday. So I was working seven days a week. And then after that, where I finally have about six hours to myself, I'm there at fame. With a lady coming up to me while I'm standing there with 12 people watching the band. All 12 people attend our church. <laughs> Except I think Aaron's, Bill was there because that's Aaron's dad. And we didn't even win him at the time. 
I didn't see Bill for another decade. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. It's like a thousand degrees outside, and a lady comes up to me. You know, you could look a lot happier. You know what, lady? I'm not happy. <laughs> I'm evangelizing the world with my unhappiness right now. But God really is that specific. He writes it all down. Where do you get that from? Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Books, not the book of life. There is the book of life, but he has books. And you're judged out of what he's written in them. That's the real gospel. I know Skip doesn't tell you that. <laughs> Skip wants you in the church. Skip wants a raise. So he doesn't tell you that. But everything that you do and say, he is documenting it. You ever look at the construction of the temple in the Old Testament? He is a specific God. He's writing it down. Don't fall for the great deception. I'll head towards the end with this. Your time of suffering is almost over. Congratulations for all the people that didn't get up and leave. I will tell you this, that if you give this church a month, you'll be red-pilled out of being able to go to any other church. You will be. All the people that left because they started laying hands on people are miserable. They're, where are you going to go? Listen, I know, some, I know people that are in here right now that you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. I get it. That's fine. You're deceived, but that's all right. Once you know what's true, you can't go back. Well, I'm offended, so I left. Okay, what's the fruit? of that decision, because that determines whether you are right or wrong. How's it going? How's that new church going? They're nothing, they're in, listen, outside of Pittsburgh, outside of Tampa Bay, River Church in Tampa Bay, Revival Today in, in Pittsburgh, there ain't much out there that's gonna preach the gospel to you. Hardcore, unabated. You, listen, and it's not... I mean, how, how hellfire and brimstone has it been? I believe hellfire and brimstone. If you're living in sin, you're going to hell. I don't care how many sinners' prayers you've said. I didn't say struggle with sin. I said living in sin. You conceded to sin. Big difference between struggling with sin and concession to sin. Big difference. Well, you haven't heard a lot of that. It's about what God has for you. Told you that you will determine it. Not God. God's already done it all. You were born into the kingdom. He's done it all. Just like you were born into the United States. George Washington did it all. You didn't do nothing. You didn't write it. I mean, I know I'm making it very simplistic using that one name, but it's just easier for conversation. You didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. Did you write Declaration of Independence? Constitution, Bill of Rights? I didn't do any of that. That was given to me. That's our ruling authority right there. Not a chamber of commerce. Not a president. 
Not a Congress, not a Senate. Not a city commission, not a governor. That's our ruling document. You didn't do any of that, neither did I. You were born into it. Now what do you do with it? You can stay lower middle class if you want. Or you could ascend to the heights of America. Same thing inside the kingdom. If you dispel unbelief to the place where you can see God's open doors, instead of shutting down the screaming preacher this morning, I don't want, okay, well, what's the fruit of your decision? Examine it. Be a fruit examiner. Let's look at this. I'll head towards the end with this. 11.56, everybody with me? I'll be done preaching no later than 12.10, 14 minutes from now. You'll hear a legit prophet tell you, it's going to be a great year for you. Now look at me now, as I'm a legit prophet. Prophet just means a truth teller, a preacher of the word of God, not somebody who just tells the future. That's a component of prophecy. It's a, it's a definition of prophecy, not the definition of prophecy. Remember when you're dealing with the Greek, there's seven different meanings to the word, and how it applies depends on the sentence. Remember that. Read the word. Go home today, make the decision. Shut this demonic device off, which mine, for some reason, smells like cat litter. I smell it when I lift it up. I'm like, gosh. And no matter how many times I clean it, it still doesn't smell like cat litter. It smells like cat pee. And no cats peed on it. It's just my sweat. It's a biohazard. So I'm telling you right now, with my cat pee phone, that you're going to have a great year. You will. You're going to have a great year. Now that's what's true. So you were born into America. You were born into the kingdom. You were born into a great year. Does that mean you're going to have a great year because I told you you're going to have a great year and you clapped? No, now you make the decision. That's what's been given to you. Now will you take it? But taking it doesn't mean just saying, yes, Yay, clapping, jumping up and down. Yeah, great year, great year. That's why you never see me do that. I'm always like, will I pass the test just like I failed this morning? If I want to have a great year, I can't show my annoyance at once. Why? Because then God is displeased and won't pour out his blessings? No, his blessings are already in place. I won't see them because I'm sowing to my carnality. So I stay blind. I'm not operating in the spirit. So you'll hear a legit prophet say, you know what, you're gonna have a great year. And it will be, now get this two-letter word, if. The Bible is full of ifs. I-F, if. If, if. if God's will unfolded no matter what, then why is the Bible full of ifs? And if that's the case, why do most Christians believe that the will of God is unfolding in their life regardless of what they do? Most do. Most honestly believe no matter what they do, the will of God is unfolding before their very eyes. Then why is the Bible full of ifs? Let's look. Colossians 1.23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the gospel. Hebrews 3.14. 
we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. So if we don't hold firmly to the end, do we share in Christ? No. So how's the will of God endlessly unfolding in your life when the Bible's full of ifs? We have come to share in Christ so we can just say, that's the will of God, right? We have come to share in Christ. It's gonna be a great year. Both of those are true. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. If indeed you hold firmly to the end the confidence you had at first. John 15, seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. If. If you don't ask, yet you have not because you. All right, so how's the will of God unfolding if you never asked? You see it? I hope that you can see this. Will it be a great year? Will it be? Not if you follow the prerequisites for a bad year. Not if you do the same things you do every bad year. Don't raise your hands. Don't amen this part. How many of you have put together a consortium? A long parade of bad years. Years you're not happy with. I'm not even talking about that you're necessarily destitute or depressed. You're just not where you want to be. One year after another, you're not where you want to be. Still pining, striving, trying to get money. Whatever it is, whatever your shortfalls are, you're trying to get them every year. Well, what's going to turn that around? Doing the same thing? It's going to be a great year. Oh, it's going to be a great year. Not if you do the same things. The Bible is full of ifs. It's up to you. It's all been given to you. It's just a matter of reaching out and grabbing hold of it. And you won't even know what to grab a hold of if you're living in unbelief. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. If you want to dispel unbelief and be able to actually see. How many of you know, have known people in your life who are given one opportunity after another, another and they never took it? Why don't they take it? Look at me. Why don't they? 12.02. I'm done in eight minutes. I'm serious. I'm done in eight minutes. Why don't they take it? Why? They don't know to take it. You're like, oh, they know, they know. They don't. Sometimes they do. But on the whole, they don't know. You're like, why does the crack addict, the oxycodone addict, the marijuana addict, who, whatever, alcohol addict, why don't they get out of it? Because they believe they're happier where they're at. It's like I told you when Pastor Rodney came up and told me because he heard me just rage machining in early, I mean, in early 2020. I mean, all the way through 2020, I was just raging and blasting and annihilating people from the pulpit by name. You, Pastor so-and-so, you closed your church. Ah! And listen, it didn't hurt the church. Church is full. I'm just telling you, eventually... Some pastoral authority came into my life and said, hey, listen, they don't know. They don't know. You've said what you needed to say. They've chosen to stay where they're at. They don't know. Let it go. Let it go. That's the truth. Let go, Chinese proverb, let go or get dragged. Let go. Being mad about it all the time. I just don't understand how that preacher can't know. They don't know. 
They're making the decision. But you've seen it over and over again in your life. Why doesn't the person make that right hand, that hardcore right hand turn? Why don't they do it? The door is wide open. They don't know because of unbelief. It's the same thing with every Christian. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, to those who did not make the correct decisions? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They didn't know. So choose to know. I don't know how to have a great marriage. I know you don't. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Faith dispels unbelief and replaces it with belief. It's a blindness that I actually have trouble articulating in words. It is literally like a small child who does not know any better. You don't know the doors that are open. You've seen these young people who are given everything. I remember a kid that I coached in high school football. The most gifted player, this is at Lemon Bay, the giant offensive lineman, ran fast. I mean, I'm talking about 320 pounds. In high school, benching over 400 pounds. Squatting 500 pounds. Full ride scholarship to the University of Central Florida or, or to Ole Miss too. Full ride scholarships. Gifted beyond measure. If you know anything about football, great feet, great speed, great quickness, quickness. He had the dog in him. But he just, he, walked, he went up to UCF, came home because he was homesick. He didn't know. He didn't know the doors that were open. And I know that there's people who know and walk away, but we're not talking about them right now. I'm talking about when you don't know. All of us in this room. Am I in this room? Let me ask you again. Am I in this room? So you can't be offended. All of us in this room are living in some level of unbelief that we don't see the doors God is opening for ministry, for opportunity, for jobs, for money, for prosperity, for happiness, for joy. Because we're blinded by our unbelief because we've never, how do you dispel unbelief? Study the word of God and you'll see the door. Suddenly, what, what was that? It opened. Never saw, me with Rodney Howard, come on. Four years ago. Listen, what is today? February, uh, March 5th? Three years ago today, this church was 130 people. Three years ago. But I was able to see a door that I had not seen before. That's all that was suddenly. All you gotta do is put the shots on goal. Give yourself opportunity in that second by second decision making. You will not have a great year if you do the same things you do when you have a bad year. Closing with this. Will it be a great year for you? Yes, if you do the work. If you make the correct decisions second by second, when you go out to the car in the morning and your wife is simultaneously locking the door while you're unlocking the door and you can't get in and you're a trained monkey. Decision will be not to show your annoyance at once, just step back and wait on the Lord. And you'll hear that door go, click. And just open the door. 
That's, a, that's both in reality and symbolically. Right there. Tom, God is not that specific. Yes, he is. I'm gonna close with this. I wrote a list. I'm gonna close with the list, and I'm gonna close with, this, with these two Bible verses. Tom, it's too heavy a task. Second by second decision making is too heavy a task. But Jesus said, come unto me, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Just so you know, you're not God. What's a yoke? That's, that's basically a, like a bit that goes around your neck. They put together ox with. Big pieces of wood with holes cut in them for your head. Take my yoke upon you. You willing to do that? He's worthy. I'm, God is worthy to yoke me. He's worthy of me being yoked by God. Gladly be yoked by Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor, year in and year out, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Finally, casting down imaginations in every high thing, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Taking captive every thought. Another way, the NIV version of that, is we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You don't think he's specific? It's a great year, and it will be a great year if you get specific. Every second, taking every one of those thoughts captive. It's as simple as this, 1209. Is it hard to drive a car? You're making second-by-second second decisions. What do you mean, Tom? Even when you're driving down 75, if you right now, you drive the, a trip that I've driven I don't know how many times, to Dayton, Ohio, from right here, you get out on the, you drive down River Road, take a left on the 75, you don't make another turn till you get to Dayton. 16 hours, up 75. You don't make another turn. Nothing. But the entire time you're making decisions, you're steering that wheel. You're moving that wheel. That's, that's the life of Christ. That's the life of a believer. It's not heavy burden. It's just turning the steering wheel. That's it. It's not, it's not a heavy burden to make those decisions, but you'd better make the right one, just like when you right here. If you go like this, that's a problem when you're going 90. Oh, I mean, oops, 70. Last year, you spent two months, I wrote, here's my list. Two, I put this together so it's actually 12. You spent two months offended, one month bitter, two months depressed, one month sinning, two months mad at your spouse, two months looking for another church, <laughs> and one month binge-watching crap. If you do those things again and expect a great year when last year was not great, you are a living embodiment of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Amen? Life is actually very, very easy. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Praise you, Lord, today. Praise you, Lord, today. If you need to get right with God this morning, drop all your pride. 
don't worry about what I think. The man that is talking to you right now is chief among, was chief among sinners. I don't look down on sin. I don't care what sin it is. And I honestly mean, I don't care what sin it is. I'm not disgusted by sin because I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm no longer looked at in the eyes of God as a sinner. But I remember from that which I came, not disgusted by anything. I can't be because I've done all those disgusting things. Do you need to get right with God this morning? If you're a Christian and you've fallen into a lifestyle of sin, that's a hell-bound decision. I didn't say that you struggle, get it right, struggle, get it right. That's not a hell-bound decision. Concession to sin is. Or you said, you know what? I just love pornography, so I'm gonna watch it. You're going to hell for that. I need to lie at least twice a week to keep, keep my job. You're going to hell for that. It's unrepentant sin. Where do you get that from, Tom? If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow returns to her wallowing in the mud. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. That's the Bible. That's the real God. That's the real Jesus, because Jesus is the Word. That's 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. If you're a Christian and you've fallen into a lifestyle of sin, you need to get right with God this morning. I'm gonna talk to you first. If that's you, stretch your hand up right where you're at. Good, don't be ashamed. You're looking at somebody who's backslid before, talking to you. Don't be ashamed, I got you. Several hands, you can put them down. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe people think you're saved. I don't know why you'd want them to think you're saved. It doesn't matter what people think. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I th seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Pleasing men is useless. But maybe you've never been saved before. Well, today is your day. This March 5th of 2023, today is your day. Well, the person that's sitting next to me thinks I'm saved, and if I raise my hand right now, they're gonna know that I don't. Don't be a man pleaser. Don't worry about it. Who cares what they think? Tom, you're gonna know that I'm not saved. Who cares what I think? I'm just, I just join in with the angels and rejoicing when one sinner comes to repentance. So whether you think, whether you're trying to put on a show that you're saved or not, maybe you don't, that's not you. You're just not saved. You're not saved. This is your time right now. What does saved mean? Simply this. Accepting the sacrifice of sin that Jesus did on the cross. That's it turning from your sin. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter four, verse 17. You have to turn your life, 180 degree mind change, which is exemplified in lifestyle change away from sin. All it means, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot seem to see the kingdom of God. What saved means is that you say, you know what? I've sinned, I've fallen short. Jesus died on the cross for those sins. I placed my sin on his shoulders and I turned from my sin, that's it. Receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you and you know you need that today, drop the pride. I'm not gonna have you come forward. I'm not bringing you to a back room. I'm not gonna hand you any of my literature, nothing. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing. 
If that's you, stretch your hand up right where you're at. I got you. Go on to my right to left. Got you. Got you. Got you. Got you. God bless each and every one of you. Those of you that lifted your hands, whether you've fallen away or whether this is a first-time commitment, we're going to pray this prayer out loud. The entire church is going to pray it out loud with you. You pray it directly to God. And you are born again. You are saved. And on your way to heaven, the will of God is unfolding in your life. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Pray this prayer. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. And I now turn from them. And I give you my life from this day on. In Jesus' mighty name, church shouts. It's easy as that, amen? Did you get something out of it today? We're done. 1217, stand with me. Go ahead, Aaron, closing right here. Receive this prophecy. Are you ready? Lord, I pray over each and every person within the sound of my voice. If you're watching right now online, it's over YouTube and over each and every person in this room. I pray the will of God unfolds in your life this week. That will of God is very specific. It's healing. It's victory. It's opportunity. It's open doors. It's closed doors. It's winning every single time. It's having a sound mind and a strong spirit. Victory in every situation is prophesied upon you this week. In Jesus' mighty name, in the church shouts. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered. If you would like to partner with us, please visit foundationchurchfl.com and click on Give.